So I have been preaching out of Matthew chapter 9. Kara preached a few weeks ago. She stayed in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to kind of give a little backstory and explain why we started preaching out of Matthew chapter 9. Um, Andy and Kim Smith started a home group um, and uh, a Bible study. And this week was their first Bible study. And so Andy wanted to get together and just wanted to pick my brain and find out, you know, how do you study the Bible? What do you do when, when you study the Bible? So we got together, grabbed a cup of coffee. And I said, well, right now I'm just all passionate about Matthew 9, 35, 36, 37, 38. And that's just, God's just been making it come alive to me. I've been praying it. I've been seeing the results of praying it. I said, so let's just go ahead and read Matthew 9. With with my full intention on, I'm just going to kind of show them how we, you know, read and study. And so we started studying. And every verse in Matthew 9 was powerful. And, and the Lord just spoke and said, hey, take it verse by verse and, and teach this chapter and preach this chapter. So that's exactly what we did. So um, last week... Um, I, I got to where I knew I was preaching and I did something interesting. Um, I, I, if we can pull up verse, uh, Matthew nine, I think it was 27. So I kind of preached on two, um, blind men that followed after Jesus crying out that they had heard, they had witnessed with their ears, the sounds of a miracle, the sounds of the miraculous. They had heard the miracle of a little girl, a 12-year-old girl being raised from the dead by Jesus. And they followed Jesus home shouting, you know, crying out to him, son of David, have mercy on us. They followed him all the way to his house. They followed him into his house and they received the miracle they were looking for. And as I read that, I read verse 31, but I didn't teach verse 31. As a matter of fact, I read it once and just left it alone and I was totally comfortable with that perfectly fine with it and then i was perfectly fine to just read verses 32 and 33 and 34 and just jump right into verses verse 35 because that's that's why i was in matthew 9 in the first place was the whole lord of the harvest part which we're going to get to it's awesome so i'm planning my message to be all about pray to the lord of the harvest as a matter of fact if you go to our website right now if you go to our facebook page it says, sermon, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So I'm preparing my message, and <laughs> and I skip over 31, 32, 33, and I'm getting in. And the Lord, I kid you not, I am totally serious. Me and the Lord, we talk very directly with each other. And he's like, what, those other verses aren't exciting enough for you? And <laughs> I'm like, what, Lord? He's like, those just don't do it for you. You're just going to skip them? Not good stuff in them? And I'm like... Lord, your word is awesome. Every verse, it is. And so I said, would you show me what I was going to miss? And I started getting his word. And thank God, thank God that God speaks to us. Thank God that we hear him and that we are not walking through this life blindly. So I'm preaching uh, the, the verses that I kind of left behind last week. So I'm going to preach verse 31 and 32 and 33, Matthew 9, the lost verses, the ones that Pastor Mark was going to totally disregard, you know. And then next week, I'm preaching verse 34. I, I, I'm so hungry to go straight to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And so hopefully this is stirring excitement with you guys, but you got to wait two weeks for that. Because next week I'm going to preach verse 34. And I'm going to bring us into Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to 
preach on the unpardonable sin. Uh, and it's interesting because it takes place twice here in Matthew. Matthew touches on it, and then he brings it up again. And we see uh, in, in chapter 12, um, the Lord broached the subject. So good stuff. But here's my encouragement to us, church. Every bit, every word, every syllable, every, every punctuation mark in his word brings life. It is good. And let's just not skip through it to get to the good parts. Amen. 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 You know, when I preach, I, I don't I don't nickel and dime verses together to form something that supports what, what is on my heart. That's not what I do. We get into the Word of God and we, we go through His Word and it's, it's standalone. It's awesome on its own. I don't have to pull a bunch of different verses together to support a popular theme. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you're awesome. And we thank you for the life that we find in relationship with you, the life we find in you. Lord, we thank you for your word that you speak to us. And so right now as an act of my will, Lord, I just yield to you and I say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Bring revelation and life and power through your word. Let this word go straight to each one of our hearts. Let us feel like this word is being spoken directly to us. And Lord, do that with each one of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's let's read uh, Matthew 9 together, verse 27. We're going to just kind of backtrack just a, a couple verses from last week. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord. They told him, We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. Hmm. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon and the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. In going back and asking the Lord, Lord, what did I just bypass? What did I just skip over? What, what do you have for us? There was a theme that became obvious in these, these few <laughs> verses. It was a theme of being muted. Of being muted, of being silent. As we cover the 30 and 31 with Jesus, just, I'm just going to teach on why he, why Jesus instructed. Don't tell anybody. Anyone ever wondered why Jesus did this miraculous act and many of these miraculous acts and then said, don't tell anybody. Has anyone ever wondered that? So we're just going to teach on that. We're just going to take a moment and just camp there for a little bit. Because he told them, don't talk. He told them, be silent. But the point I want to get at here is that word was for them. That word was for them for a specific time. That word is not for us. We can't just reach in and grab a portion of Scripture and go, oh, whatever this is, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. No. There's context. There's background. There's story. We need to look and go, Lord, what's going on during this? We can't just randomly pull. And you can't base a theology on that. Lord, whatever this thing right here says, I'm going to do it. Oh, man. I'm sorry. i got to kill you because I killed a guy. We don't do that. The second part we see 
a man who was mute, bound by a demon that has held his tongue and he had never speak. Jesus cast out the demon and the man spoke. It's important to realize the enemy's plans, the enemy's schemes, the enemy's ways are still to keep us muted today. Are still to keep us silenced and quiet and muted, not speaking, not declaring, not communicating, whether it's with one another or with God. Friends, we're we're to have an interactive relationship with God. He's, he's not that icon on the wall that we just reverently treat from a distance and say, I have religion. No, I have Jesus. And I have a relationship with the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ. And I'm not alone because when Jesus left, he said, I send the Holy Spirit. So we have a relationship and that relationship is supposed to have communication. Verse 30, then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. Matthew 9, 30 and 31. Why does Jesus tell them, don't tell anybody? Reason number one, I believe, humility. It's a minor reason, but it's a reason. When we do good, as believers, we are not to do it for our own fame or for our own glory. In, flat, in fact, we are supposed to genuinely, authentically defer praise to Jesus Christ so that his name is lifted high, so that his name is glorified. That's what we do when we come in here. You know, I, I want to encourage us, when we, when we demonstrate our love for the Lord through singing, through shouting, through raising our hands, Sometimes it comes out in tears. That, that's a way of demonstrating our love genuinely and, and affectionately. And, and we shouldn't be afraid of a genuine demonstration or a genuine redirection. When God moves through us, the Word says He wants our acts to be seen. The Bible says, I want your good acts to be seen. I want your good works to be seen. Why? So that we are acknowledged as, oh my gosh, dude, he is awesome. She is so cool. No. So that we might direct it and say, no, no, no. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus Christ. He wants our works to be seen so that Jesus can be seen. That's humility. Reason number two that Jesus told them, don't tell anybody. Jesus knew their bad motives. Jesus knew their bad motives. And who do, I, who do I speak of? Specifically of the, the religious establishment, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. Jesus wouldn't indulge their conceited view that was held that the Messiah would be a prince that they would establish. That they would would establish his kingdom. They would set up his kingdom. That, that's what the view was at the time. That when the Messiah come, it would be something that would go through the church and it would go through their leadership and they would recognize it and embrace it and they would establish it. Jesus knew their motives. In fact, he had to run from their motives. They tried to establish his kingdom prior to this. Bad motives, but it's kind of misguided motives. He knew their motives. 
And he didn't want to give them the opportunity of setting up his kingdom. It's interesting to note something. After the miracles that Jesus performed among the Gentiles, and, and I always get this word, I'm going to butcher it, Gadarenes. If you got a different pronunciation, Gadarenes. That's my Italian pronunciation. If I was in Rome, and you would do this too. So when he performed miracles among the Gentiles and the Gadarenes, he did not offer this command. He did not tell them, be silent. He did not tell them, go, you know, don't tell anybody. In fact, he told them, go and share what you've seen. Among the Gentiles and the Gadarenes, when he performed miracles, he's like, go ahead and share what you've seen. Why? Because he knew their motives. They weren't going to go try and establish the kingdom for the Messiah on their terms. Interesting. Reason number three. Publicity would hinder the mission of the message. Publicity would only hinder the mission of the message. To our way of thinking, in our minds, we think, Jesus, you're missing out on free publicity for an incredible thing. Let everybody know. Let everybody see. That's, that's our way of thinking. I've read this a dozen times. I've been like, Lord, why not, why not let them just go tell the world? But once again, that's our thinking. Jesus knew that publicity over his miracles would divert their attention away from his message. And his message is more important than his miracles. Publicity over these miracles would draw people singularly focused only to come in, in need of a message, but, but perhaps without hearts open to, or, or in need of a miracle, but with, without a heart ready to receive the message. The message is what he came for. The message of life and of salvation and of grace was more important than the miracles. Now, the miracles followed him everywhere he went. The miracles were there, but he, he preached. He came and he taught and he shared. What's more important? His message or his miracles? We need to be seeking his, his message today. I believe God is still God of miracles. I believe that he still moves and works and we see it. But when we seek Jesus and we seek his heart, we seek Jesus and not a work of his hand. Amen? funny that whole point about publicity hindering the message he was right he was absolutely right we see it multiple times in the word the bible records several times that this is exactly what happens a man gets healed he's thrilled his life has changed jesus commands him didn't suggest it commands him don't tell anybody keep it on the down low keep it to yourself the man runs out and tells anyway and what happens Jesus has to move out of that town. Jesus has to move to the desert places. Jesus has to move on because the crowds, those come seeking a miracle, those come seeking a sign, possibly seeking a show, were so great that he would have to move on. 
See, God's ways are not our ways. We've got to trust His ways. It doesn't matter that we don't understand it. Well, Lord, I need some logic behind it. That's, you're cute. I know, you know, that's sweet. But no, just trust me. Trust me. This is what I've said to do. Trust me. Reason number four. Preservation of time. Preservation of time. The more he was proclaimed, the more jealous the rulers of the religious establishment got. And he knew what the result of that was. This is God in the flesh, the Son of God, who had communion with the Father. He knew what was going on. He knew his time was short. He he knew each moment was precious. He didn't waste a moment. We'd see there were times he needed rest, and he'd have rest and he'd be right back at it. Time was precious, and he didn't want to waste a minute. He knew that it needed to be preserved. He told them over and over, just just keep it on the down low. Why? He wanted to tell as many people as he could. He wanted to get the word out as much as he could. It wasn't himself that he was preserving. Let's be totally clear about that. It was it was time. He just wanted to get the word out. I think about the end of like Schindler's List. I mean, that movie, if you've seen it, that movie touched you. And at the end, you're like, I could have done more. You know, I could have given this watch. This How many... You know, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry for the spoiler alert, but it's been like 10 years. I mean, you've got, you know, I mean, there's a statute of limitation on spoiler alerts, you know. But his heart was, I want them to know every moment has purpose. Every act he did has purpose. Every drop of blood that hit the ground had purpose. There was nothing that Jesus did that was in vain. The good news for us, we don't have to keep it on the DL. We don't have to keep it on the down low. We don't have to keep it to ourselves. We don't have to remain silent. That command was for them. What's our command? What's our commission? What's our call? To tell everybody about Jesus. And to let our lives tell people about Jesus. To let the the results or the fruit of our lives tell people about Jesus. To let the fruit of our lives tell people that we don't just go to church, but that we believe. That we believe. That we're committed to a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word was for them, for a time. Not for us, not for now. And I was just going to leave that, those two verses alone. I am so lame. I'm so lame. Yeah, God's word is awesome. We need to embrace every word. Isn't that good? And this, and this that's like that's like the first part. So if we had an intermission, you know, we'd have that now, but we don't have an intermission. So I'm just going to go ahead and continue. Matthew 9:32. When they left, a demon possessed. Okay, let's stop. When they left, when who left? The two the two the two artists formerly known as the blind men okay when they left a demon possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus you know when we read let's, let's just not 
read. Let's not just cover ground. We see Jesus coming back from the home of a girl who had died, rose her from the grave, walked home, the whole time followed by screeching, annoying men, annoying to us by our standards, but we can't annoy the Lord with our desperation. They follow him to his house. They follow him into his house. He heals them. When they leave, so that's where we're at. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon and the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, how can he cast out demons? Because he is empowered by the prince of demons. That, that last part, verse 34, that's where I'm starting next week. That'll be my message next week. So that's just a little teaser. In reading Matthew, does anyone else feel like Matthew is the dog from up? Like, he's the dog from up. He's like, squirrel! You know, <laughs> Matthew, you know, and I'm not, I am not talking bad about Matthew. Matthew's a stud and, and a hero and an example. But Matthew is all over the place. I mean, I, I read what Paul writes and what Luke writes. I'm like, oh, those brothers were writers, man. They could write. Paul, you know, could just talk and just, it's awesome. I look at Matthew and Matthew, <laughs> Matthew's, when he covers chapter 9. Okay, we've, we've just been in Matthew 9, right? He's like, Jesus heals a paralyzed man, and then he and then he calls me and me me you know the scum of the earth me. And then we had a, a sinners tax collectors feast, and that was so awesome. And then we went along, and there was a woman, and you know issue of blood, and oh also you know um, fasting you know is good, but we're not going to do it right now you know because bridegroom and wineskins, and you know and then back to the woman you know the robe she just grabbed the robe. And, Boom, healed. And then the religious leader came to Jesus and he's like, my daughter, you can heal her. And Jesus is like, let's go. And then they're like, ah, she's dead. And Jesus is like, we're going anyway. And then he raises her from the dead. And, you know, did I mention, you know, the paralyzed guy? Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned that. And he's just all, I mean, it's just one after the other. You read Matthew 9 and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, Matthew just... And he's not real detailed. He's just like, this happened. And then this happened. And then this happened. And then blind men. And then deaf. And then a mute guy. And, you know, there's a deaf guy somewhere. But that's maybe another chapter. And Matthew's just all over the place. But he's, Lord, let us have the excitement of Matthew. Let us talk about Jesus as he wrote about Jesus with the same excitement. But when we're reading this, you know, it's, it's just interesting because he is. It's like he can't get it out quick enough. He can't write it out quick enough. He can't convey enough because he, because he was the one that Jesus looked at and walked to and said, I know that you're regarded as, a, as the scum of the earth and an outcast and a cheater and a thief by society. But I want you to follow me closely beside me forever I want you I want to trust you to walk with me follow me that's that's Matthew's story but you guys we've got similar stories because he called us and, and we were insert our testimony there insert our story of victory there we should convey it's kind of a long 
rabbit trail there, but it's important. We, we look at Matthew and you look at his writing style and you look at these things and you're like, how hard was it to wait nine chapters to tell people that it was him? He waited nine chapters. The brother waited nine chapters to tell people about Jesus calling him. That, you know, as excited as he is or he seems to be, that's pretty impressive. In this excitement, in the excitement of Matthew sharing everything that took place, let's not miss the details that are listed in a boat, in a new town, in the marketplace, in or near the synagogue, in the streets, in a stranger's home, in his home, people following him and people being brought to him in every place, in every situation. Jesus always had time for them. Always. From walking through the streets to going to the girl's house and seeing her raised from the dead, to walking back home being followed, to healing those men and someone else being brought to him. Many of us, according to our standards, would say, that's invasive. You're asking too much. But we see how precious Jesus valued his time. We see. We, we see that and why he told people to keep it on the down low. Because his time was not his time. His time was the Father's time. And the Father cared about the people so much that he sent the Son so that we could be with the Father. I guess here's my encouragement. And... I, I've I've kind of twirled back and forth. I had a really direct, semi-rude way of expressing it, and then I had way too soft of a way. And so I, I don't know where this is going to fall, but I don't want to hear anything about time. I don't want to hear. I don't have time to do His work. I don't want to hear. I don't have time to to spend time in His Word. I think the rude version comes. That's okay. It's good. I don't want to hear. I don't have time. I don't want to hear it. Because one thing that Jesus did not have is a, is a miraculous manifestation of the multiplication of time. He had 24 hours. Just like you and I have 24 hours. You don't have time? Then cut out 30 minutes of a mindless TV show. Or get up a little earlier. And I'm preaching to myself too. Get up a little earlier. Do something. I, what I don't want to hear is I'm too busy because Jesus is our example and we see that our Lord, the one that we call Master, the one that we yield to and surrender to and gave our life to, we see Him being unbelievably busy but finding the time, making the time, not begrudging the time. Now we also see, let's be honest, there's times, he, if the Word says He had to go away and rest. So rest is important. We can't go 24 hours. Jesus didn't go 24 hours. He slept in boats where there were storms going on. Jesus Jesus rested, we rest. 
But friends, don't... If I can ask you guys a favor, and when I ask how you're doing, and if any of your response is... Um, oh, doing good. I just don't have any time. Don't get mad at me if I leave and come back with water and just like, you know, throw it on you. You know, just don't, just promise me that that's an acceptable greeting from me to you. It's appropriate. You look at the, the men that we call heroes, the people we admire. I don't care if it's a president. I don't care if it was an inventor. I don't care if it was a leader. Um, or if it's Jesus Christ. The thing we have in common with them is 24 hours and how we treat those 24 hours, what we do with those 24 hours, what we treat as important for those 24 hours. You guys, if you're not spending time in His Word, not out of catechism or out of obligation, but because it's life, oh my gosh, you guys, do it. Man, I love movies. I do. I love them. I'm not kidding you. I love movies. I love this better. When I spend time in, in the Word, I'm like, ah, ah, honey, I'm not going to come home yet because Starbucks hasn't closed yet. When they close, I'll be home. You know, we saw last week that Jesus' doors are always open to us. We see this week about time management from the Lord. He's our example. We follow Him. Now, I will say this. Guys, if we're not spending time with Him, then then our, our heart, just naturally, because it, because we're a sinful people, is going to be geared towards self. It's going to be geared towards self. That's going to be our response. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I don't have enough time. I'm not equipped enough. I'm not qualified enough. I, you know, if, if we're not spending time with the Lord, our eyes are going to be geared toward ourselves. That's going to be our fleshly normal example. But it shouldn't be our acceptable answer. It shouldn't be our acceptable answer. We should treat the time given us to do His work with the same measure of importance that He treated it. You know, it's interesting when I preach, like when I'm done here tonight, I could, if I ran, I could run a marathon. I mean, I'm so full of energy. I'm so excited. And I'm that way till, I mean, I can't sleep. I can't sleep till about midnight. And then you could be like mid-sentence and I'm out. I'm crashed. I'm like, oh, I'm so exhausted. Preaching is so hard. You know, and then I'm tired. Preaching is not hard. Um, you know, but there's times, you know, it, it's draining emotionally. And I look at this this stretch of scripture where Jesus goes from person to person to person. There's a need there, let's go. There's a need there, let's go. They're coming to me. <sighs> Come on in. They're bringing more. That's the example we see. Too busy, too tired, too whatever. You know, let's just eliminate... Let's just eliminate the excuses. But but it can't be just a, a an act of the flesh. It can't just be an act of our will. We've got to spend that time with Him and be in love with Him. What's, the, what's, what's our goal for Impact Rock? A church full of people just in love with Jesus. 
in love with Jesus. When we have that, when we have that going, His love just flows. And then we're able to impact people and touch people and pray for people in supermarkets and, and respond, do all the, you know, just cool stuff. But it starts with a love for Jesus. So, friends, let's be with Jesus. Let's be with Jesus. Let's be with Him in word. When we come in here for worship, it's not about songs and it's not about if you're musical and who cares if, you know, you've got a horrible voice. You just can't be on the worship team, but you can stand there and be horrible. You know, but when we come together and worship, it's an opportunity to go, oh, the one I love, the one I love. Hey, here's all of me. And I want all of you. But we don't, it doesn't, that doesn't just have to be here Saturday nights from 5 to 5.30. Our life should be a life of worship and, and we fall in love with Him. You guys, that's not weird. That's not weird. Fall in love with Jesus is not weird. We should love Him. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my mom, my dad, my sister, my brothers. I love, I mean, loving is natural. We're supposed to love Jesus, not just be familiar with Him. You know, there's there's weeks at the end of the message I have a call to ministry. And I, I just, I didn't, I don't feel right having anyone come up tonight in a response to this because I think the response should be done right where we are. Right where we are. Saying, Lord, and what, what should that response be? It should be repentance. It really should. Let us be a repentant people. Say, Lord, forgive me for being too busy or saying I'm too busy or buying the lie of the enemy that I'm too busy. Lord, forgive me for wasting the time you've given me instead of being thoughtful and purposeful with that time. So it, the call is repentance, but it's not to be done right here. It's to be done where we are. God wants to use each one of us to be an expression of His love and His power. Oh, awesome. Let's be willing and hungry and available to the Lord. Our, our door is not closed to Him because we know His doors are never closed to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.